The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Today we're going to be talking about California's water system and a plan that's underway to upgrade and modernize the infrastructure to continue providing safe and reliable water to not just water users, you know, individual residences, but also to our farms, to our uh, businesses, manufacturing, what have you. And our guests today um, are Jeffrey Keitlier. He is the general manager of the largest uh, water district in the country. It's the Metropolitan Water District down in Southern California. Um, And Erin Mellon is going to be joining us as well. She's the Communications and Outreach Advisor at the California Natural Resources Agency. And she's working on the plan that we're going to be talking about, which is called California Water Fix. Now, we're going to be starting at a very rudimentary place. Um, It's very important, I think, for even people who live in California, let alone our listeners who are outside of California to understand some of the underpinnings of California's water system and why these upgrades and modernization projects need to take place. And it's really important that we start with our levee system. In California, um, we have levees and a lot of people don't even know what they look like. If you were driving on the freeway and you had a busload full of kids or even adults and you said, look out the window and point to a levee, they wouldn't even know what they were looking for. So, Erin, I'd like to start with you. And this is kind of a multi-part question. Um, Talk to us about the purpose that a levee serves um, and, and the current state of the levees, why they're so vulnerable. And this is the the scariest part, what happens when a levee breaks? Sure. Um, thanks very much for having me to start. Um, I'm going to take it back a little bit to say specifically we're talking about the water supply in the Delta. So when we talk about levees in California, I'm, I'm really focusing on the Delta region, which is in Northern California. It's, uh, I believe it's the longest stretch of levees, about over a thousand miles of levees, um, They're designed to stop the occasional rush of water, but the way that it works in the delta, because many of the islands and land in the delta is below sea level, delta levees are actually more like dams in that they're constantly holding back water. So right now, many of these levees are decades and decades old. Some of them are even just dirt, and that's really what's keeping back salt water from our freshwater supplies. Some levees are in danger of liquefying during an earthquake or collapsing due to uh, increased pressure from rising sea levels. If a levee fails, salt water from the bay, the San Francisco Bay, would drain into the delta, and that contamination uh, would could render clean water supplies unusable for much of California. 
Um, the last levy break was in 2004, and it cost taxpayers $90 million to repair. Um, even burrowing ground squirrels have been known to cause levy breaks in the Delta. Uh, the state has actually invested more than $300 million in Delta levies since 2005. But uh, as you can see, you know, in the last few years, the that's not enough, and we need to do something different to protect our clean water supplies. And that's really where WaterFix comes into play. Well, and I think a lot of people think that levees are just about flood control. But as you mentioned, um, rightly so, Erin, you know, keeping this salty water out of our clean water supply is crucial. And, and that's what we're talking about today. Now, Jeffrey, you're the general manager and CEO of, as I mentioned before, the largest municipal water provider in the nation, MW. Uh, and you're, you serve 19 million people. I'm sure that's going up all the time. Now, MWD is comprised of multiple smaller agencies. I need you to give us a little bit of a history lesson here. Why don't these smaller agencies just operate independently? Talk to us about the history and the mission of the Metropolitan Water District. Sure. Thank you for having me, Jill. Uh, when Southern California began growing in the 1920 area, particularly around, era, particularly around uh, Los Angeles, uh, they began looking for more water supplies because there simply wasn't enough water down here. It's a semi-arid region, Mediterranean climate. And the logical next place to look for a water supply after the city of Los Angeles had tapped the Owens Valley was the Colorado River. And they looked at the price of it. And no one city, uh, not Los Angeles or any of the other cities in the region, could afford it. It was too expensive. And then, meanwhile, the country also went into the Great Depression, and they didn't know that they could afford any project. And instead of uh, giving up and saying, we're just not going to grow, 13 of the largest cities in the region, uh, cities such as Pasadena, Glendale, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, um, uh, Fullerton, Anaheim, all these cities, 13 of them, got together with Los Angeles to form the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, pool its resources, go to the federal government and lobby to build Hoover Dam that would dam up the Colorado River, fund the building of Parker Dam that creates Lake Havasu, and fund the building of the Metropolitan Colorado River Aqueduct. At its time, this, these were the most expensive projects ever built in the nation, and they did that in the teeth of the Great Depression, 1930s. And the only way they could do it is by banding together and not going alone. So it became a, a cooperative agency. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. And now, I mean, when you say they were just beginning to grow, look at them now. I mean, well, of course, you live there, but um, it's it's an amazing, expansive uh, population center that is made possible because of water. And that's a pretty remarkable history. Now, Aaron, a lot of people, both inside and outside the state of California, don't understand the role that the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta plays in California's water system. So talk to our listeners about the Delta's ecosystem and also its utility to the state in terms of water supply? Sure. Um, The Delta is really the hub of California's water system. Water from the Delta supplies 25 million people from as far north as Redding to as far south as San Diego. This is the water that really runs uh, California's economy. It runs the Silicon Valley in Los Angeles. Water from the Delta contributes $400 billion to California's economy, and the regions that receive Delta water produce more than $1 trillion worth of goods and services. Um, Cities like Livermore and Pleasanton and Dublin, uh, up to 80% of their water can come from the Delta. 
in the Silicon Valley, about uh, 40% uh, of their water comes from the Delta. So again, this is really the water that sustains the economy. And Jeff can talk about the supply in Los Angeles, but certainly San Diego and LA um, receive a lot of imported water from the Delta. Um, It was once a very vast marshland, but much of that land gave way to become farmland. Um, So it's changed a lot over the years. It still is a very unique ecosystem and is home to many endangered species, some of which are even uh, endemic. Uh, And that's, again, Waterfix is trying to balance these two uh, needs, both the environmental needs for the Delta ecosystem to do what we can to protect and restore that habitat, and also to provide a secure and reliable source of clean water for much of California. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Jeffrey, the Met- Metropolitan Water District operates roughly, now this is according to Google Maps, you may correct my math if it's wrong, but about 380 miles south of the Delta. And you import about 30% of your water from it. Do you think that that's a sustainable means of meeting the water needs of Southern California? Well, yes, I do, Jill. And um, after Metropolitan built the Colorado River Aqueduct in the 1930s, that basically supplied all the needs of Southern California for the next generation. But by 1960, it was beginning to become obvious that without uh, another supply of imported water, uh, Southern California growth could not continue. And then Southern California agreed after a long process to team up with the state of California and Governor Pat Brown to build the state water project which not only supplies water to metropolitan and Southern California, uh, pretty much to uh, the Bay Area, parts of the Silicon Valley, and, um, and much, of the, uh, much of the San Joaquin Valley for agricultural purposes. So it's a large project, but uh, metropolitan had to bankroll half of it to make it occur. It's been operating since the early 1970s. We've, it's operated the past 50 years. It has worked well and served California well and has enabled us to become the seventh largest economy in the world. And it's something that is sustainable with the appropriate investments and reinvestments. And just as a follow-up to that, Jeffrey, you know, is there any magic number of the number of people that that system can support? I mean, you know, I know that there's still a lot of development going on in Southern California. Is there any sort of formula that says, okay, when we reach this many people, that's when we really have to, you know, change things or, you know, this system that we've currently got with the state water project and water coming from the the Colorado River will no longer be sustainable. Uh, is Is there a breaking point there? Well, I don't know that there is a clear breaking point. In Southern California imports less water today than we imported in 1990, and yet we've added 5 million people to this region, and we have continued to grow our economy. So we have shown for the last 25 years the ability to continue to grow uh, and live on our existing supplies of water. So we're not looking for more water, new imported supplies. We're just looking to maintain those existing supplies and all our future growth has been um, handled by conservation, recycling, uh, reclamation of water, re- regeneration of our groundwater basins. We've been able to locally handle all our growth, and we believe that game plan works for the future. That's really interesting. And actually, that's the first time I've heard anyone explain it quite that way. Um, so thank you for that. Aaron. 
talk to us about the pumps that move water out of the Delta currently. Some of them are federal, some of them are state. Talk to us a little bit about how they work and how they impact um, the Delta and in particular its wildlife. Sure. The the Central Valley Project is the the federal side, and then obviously the the state side is the state water project. The Central Valley Project water irrigates more than 3 million acres of farmland and also provides drinking water. The state water project is a little more uh, heavy on the urban side, providing about 70% of their water going to cities and and urban districts and 30% going to ag land. Um, The existing pumping system that we have sit on dead-end channels that can't be properly screened. In fact, it requires us to repeatedly, sometimes even multiple times a day, lift fish out of the channels with buckets, put them in trucks, and haul them up to a safer release spot in the delta. Um, It's obviously an endless operation that includes fish mortality. Um, Perhaps even more important, when operating, the pumps in the southern part of the delta cause reverse flows in rivers and streams, which can confuse migrating fish. So again, this is where water comes into play. We're trying to transport water more efficiently and in a more environmentally friendly manner. Gotcha. And I know that, you know, there's some concern as well that the the pumps can pull some of the brackish water from the Bay Area further inland than it would normally go. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, much of the kind of flows between salt and fresh water are determined by the the current infrastructure and and system that we have in the Delta. If we, um, with WaterFix, we're talking about moving the intakes further north uh, where we'd be capturing water before it'd be mixed with kind of the the salty water from the bay. So uh, that's really what would improve water quality for, um, you know, the Californians who depend on this water. Sure. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, folks, we've got much more with Aaron and Jeffrey, so don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our topic today is something called California Water Fix. And you can check it out. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But open up a new tab in your web browser and go to www.californiawaterfix.com. And this is the state of California's new plan uh, to ensure that the 21st century water supply for the state of California is reliable and safe, um, and also environmentally friendly. And our guests today are Aaron Mellon and Jeffrey Keitlinger. Jeffrey is the general manager and CEO of the Metropolitan Water District down in Southern California. And Erin um, is with the California Natural Resources Agency, and she's working primarily on California water fix. Erin, talk to us about the current plan to divert water from the Delta uh, that would be using uh, tunnels. And how that plan differs from previous plans for a peripheral canal. This is going to be part, you know, a, a current events answer and part a history lesson. So tell us about that. Sure. Um, the original architects of the State Water Project saw the need to carry water from the Sacramento River around the eastern edge of the delta to the pumping plants in the south delta that lift water into the canals uh, that go to cities and farms. The original purpose of what you mentioned, the peripheral canal, was to avoid water quality problems from pumping directly from delta channels. So the canal uh, ended up being delayed for cost reasons, and then in 1982, it was actually put up for a vote, and it was rejected by voters. In the meantime, our understanding of the Delta ecosystem has grown tremendously. Federal and state lawmakers have passed environmental protection laws that have forced an important correction in the operation of the federal and state pumps. Uh, As we operate the projects now, not just to deliver water to cities and farms, but also to sustain the Central Valley's natural heritage. Um, We appreciate why the original project designers did not want to draw water directly from the South Delta channels where we are today. Um, If we could build the project again today using what we learned over the last 50 years, we would put the project intakes in a different place. Um, As we talked about earlier in the segment, the the pumps that are uh, that really run the system stress fish species that are at risk of extinction, um, and in fact we often have to shut down the system and cut supplies to protect fish. Uh, as a result, we miss opportunities to store water for dry seasons and drought years, which now we know you know more than ever. Um, in 2009, the legislature passed uh, the Delta Reform Act, which sets forth the co-equal goals of providing a more water, reliable water supply for California and for protecting, restoring, and enhancing the Delta ecosystem. Um, and that's really the core principle that WaterFix was based on. We screened hundreds of options and studied in-depth um, 18 different alternatives, including the status quo of different alignments and intake locations and all the nitty-gritty details. WaterFix was chosen because of its ability to provide a reliable source of clean water while minimizing unnatural flows in the delta that harm native fish and habitats. 
um, beyond improving ecosystem health, uh, WaterFix is really about securing supplies. Without WaterFix, future yields are likely to drop by about 20% due to climate change and sea level rise and reduced snowpack. We're trying to keep del- deliveries constant um, to make sure that folks like Jeff can plan for the growth in their in their regions. So the the kind of project details about WaterFixer, there are three new intakes located along the Sacramento River. They would have state-of-the-art fish screens to protect species from entering the system. We'd be capturing water uh, farther north, fresh water, before it's mixed with the salt water in the Delta. And those intakes are now going to be away from key fish habitats. And then there's the what you hear about a lot, the tunnels, two 40-foot in diameter tunnels um, They would be up to 150 feet below ground, which protects supplies from natural disasters and saltwater contamination. And we'd be using gravity to move water, uh, which helps reinstate more natural river flows. That's pretty exciting. I mean, and I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of 40-foot diameter tunnels. That's that's huge. Um, that's that's pretty amazing. Now, Jeffrey, this may seem like a trick question because most of the time when people ask about why people are concerned about tunnels or against them, they ask somebody from Northern California. But I'm, I'm asking someone uh, from Southern California to help us understand why there are those who protest the tunnels. Um, and certainly there was a lot of oppos- opposition to the peripheral canals. Talk to us about why some people are concerned about this current plan and how does WaterFix address those concerns? Sure. Uh, there's a number of reasons people are concerned. Uh, one, I think, is just there's often been this, often, there historically has been a, a very strong north-south rivalry in the state of California, and much of it revolves <laughs> around water. Uh, there are people from an environmental perspective that feel uh, California's already got too many people, it's already grown enough, and we should, we, the best way to curb growth is to basically stop uh, the importing and exporting of water. There are people who are concerned about impacts to the delta itself. Uh, will the project increase salinity? Will it make it harder to farm? Will it will it kill more endangered fish? And then finally, I think there's an issue of trust. Uh, even though the project is designed to just make the existing supply reliable and not increase uh, exports of water, there are those who just say we can't trust the system that sooner or later, if Southern California really needs that water, uh, that water will get pumped. And, and regardless of whatever restrictions and governance rules and regulations are in place. Now, how do you address all those concerns? Uh, some you really are, are not appropriately addressed on a water project. You know, should California grow more? That, that's an issue for the legislative leadership of our state to really talk about growth policy and, and land use and uh, much broader than water supply. The trust issue, I think, uh, is addressed in the project itself. There are numerous restrictions, both in federal and state law, that are within the project. But I also think our actions down here in Southern California speak for themselves. We, as I said, we actually import less, about 20% less water today, 2016, for 19 million people than we imported in 1990 for 14 million people. Metropolitan has invested billions of dollars in water recycling, reclaimed water, water storage, and local projects. And we're investing more. We are about to embark on the planning stages of the largest recycled water project in the western United States. It would be 150,000 acre feet of recycled water. We're making all those investments so that we can be reliable without more water from either northern California or the Colorado River. 
Uh, and I think that action should should and does speak for itself. Well, and, and I actually I'm glad that somebody from Southern California has had a chance to mention that because, um, you know, just based on the behavior that's been going on and the conservation and the the attention that's been focused on local resources, um, I, I think you're right. I mean, that, that should speak for itself. Um, Aaron, Californians have passed a couple of water bonds in recent history. In 2006, uh, there was a water component to Governor Schwarzenegger's um, infrastructure bond. And then again in 2014, voters gave the, the water bond a thumbs up. Talk to us about how that money has been spent and how much more will be needed. Sure. I, I don't know that I could give you a, a figure of how much more would be needed. I think uh, it all depends on how things shake out. I You know, how much money we've already spent on um, on drought and emergency um, services in the last five years of the drought that we faced. But we've... Um, in that Prop 1, there was tw- about $2.7 billion for water storage, uh, $1.4 billion for watershed protection and restoration. Uh, in groundwater sustainability, there was uh, both regional and statewide money for recycling and desal research, um, and also for drinking water qual- improving drinking water quality and flood protection. I think... Um, I think I, I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but we are uh, have put about 400 million into providing clean and safe drinking water improvements. Um, we uh, have put in over two uh, million dollars in climate and drought preparedness, uh, both statewide and regionally. Um, there's been multiple hundreds of millions of dollars put towards recycling. And really, all of these things are part of the the statewide strategy. Um, we're doing an all-of-the-above strategy instead of just one project or just one, um, uh, one measure. Um, I think it's important to remember how well the state has done in reducing consumption. Um, they've, I think every, every community has conserved their way um, through this drought. But now we need to make sure that we can secure the supplies that everyone's already depending on. Um, and that, again, is, is where WaterFix comes in. Absolutely. And it's important to remember, too, that uh, it's not just the state of California and its residents that are counting on the water um, because we produce about 70 percent of the produce for the uh, for the nation. A lot of other people from grocery stores to restaurants around the U.S. are counting on us having enough water um, to grow our crops. So that's really important. Now, Jeff, talk to us about California's current capacity to capture and store fresh water. Talk to us about what you think should be done to update that portion of the state's water infrastructure. Sure. So California has always had uh, a mismatch between where its water supply is and, and where it's needed. And most of our water supply is uh, up in the northern part of the states and coming in the Sierra Nevadas, part of our snowpack. And yet our population centers are on our coast. San Francisco, the Bay Area, uh, Southern California, San Diego, and Los Angeles. And our agriculture is in the Central Valley, uh, which isn't where the rain and snow primarily falls. So we've always had this need if we're going to have uh, agriculture and large population centers along the coast to be able to capture that water and move it. And most of that infrastructure was built 
uh, up and from the 1900s through 1960, and we haven't been building it since. And California back then was half the size it is today, less than half, and we just simply haven't maintained the building to match it. The urban areas have done well. Metropolitan has invested billions of dollars in building large reservoirs so we can capture and store water and safeguard our area for drought. Bay Area has done the same with its Los Vaqueros to match our Diamond Valley Lake. Uh, but, but the state as a whole has not reinvested in it, and that's something that we're going to have to start doing again. Uh, this, gener- this past generation got away from investing in basic infrastructure, and we need to get back to it. And Cal Water Fix is part of that down payment. You need both new storage, we need more reservoirs, and we also need more groundwater banks to store water. And then finally, we need the ability to move the water there, which is a better conveyance system, which is exactly mm-hmm. what Cal Water Fix addresses. Well, and it's interesting that you say that, you know, in terms of this generation kind of skipping over infrastructure, there was a time, and this was a bipartisan situation where, um, you know, the first Governor Brown being a Democrat and then Governor Reagan being a Republican, um, they presided over legislatures that were spending 10, 11 percent of the general fund on infrastructure. We're way, way below that. We're closer to one or two percent at tops. And so, um, you know, you're right. I think it's it's going to be a real wake up call for the state of California to to get back to those kinds of expending expenditure habits, I believe. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have much, much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. I want to give you all a quick reminder that Go Green Radio is just a small part of a much larger organization called the Go Green Initiative. You can check it out at gogreeninitiative.org. That's the environmental education program that I started way back in 2002. We'd love to have your support, love to get you involved. And so check us out 
gogreeninitiative.org. It's a great organization, and we help schools become more eco-friendly in 73 countries around the world. So check us out. Today, we're talking about California's water system, and more importantly, what California needs to do in order to upgrade and modernize its system in order to continue delivering safe, reliable, clean water to its many residents. Um, Aaron is uh, Aaron Mellon is the communications and outreach advisor at the California Natural Resources Agency, working on this new plan that we've been talking about, California Water Fix. And Aaron, I wanted to ask you, how will Water Fix impact water quality? Yeah, the question uh, as to how the project would impact water quality is actually in front of the state water resources control board right now. So conclusions one way or the other are yet to be made, but the state's research has shown that the project would not result in any significant negative impacts on Delta water for any beneficiary users. Uh, In fact, WaterFix would actually protect and maintain water quality in the Delta and guard against potential threats to that water quality, such as saltwater intrusion and sea level rise from uh, earthquakes or climate change. Because of that, we'll see improvements to water quality in the supply, which can, of course, help cut treatment costs uh, when we're moving it downstream. Sure, sure. That makes perfect sense. Now, Jeff, talk to us about water quality from your perspective, from the you know municipal water provider perspective. Just this week, we saw that more people have been charged um, in the Flint, Michigan water incident uh, earlier this year. And when you see stories like that, what goes through your mind and how does the Metropolitan Water District ensure water quality and safety? Water quality is something that's just absolutely critical for a municipal urban water uh, agency such as ours. You know, we run a state-of-the-art water quality laboratory here at Metropolitan. We conduct over 100,000 different water quality tests every year. Um, We have a whole team that does nothing but focus on getting samples and making and ensuring that the water we deliver to our customers exceeds every single uh, federal and state standard in terms of water supply. It's something, you know, to have the trust of the public is something we take absolutely critically. One of the um, not widely publicized benefits of Cal Water Fix is its improvements to water quality. Uh, so for many agricultural districts, that, that may be something that is, has some slight value. But to an urban provider, it's very valuable. Uh, the water that will come in uh, by picking it up further north before it's had a chance to travel through the uh, peat uh, soils of the delta will have uh, less carbon in it. It will have, it'll be uh, less salinity. And all those impacts, those minute impacts, uh, have long-term health impacts. And so when you deliver water to 19, 20 million people and you can make health, health and safety improvements in that water supply, uh, that becomes something very valuable to us. It sure does. You know, because of my work with schools uh, through the Go Green Initiative, I have been working with a lot of East Coast schools. And actually, just last month, I was visiting a school uh, that has a lead pipe problem. And I walked into their hallways and all of the drinking fountains were covered with plastic and taped up. And and there were bottled water, you know, stations around the school. And it was so incredibly sad. And it just so happens that a lot of these districts, school districts that are dealing with this are in low income communities where parents are scared to death to turn the tap on and and give their children tap water uh, because of the health impact of, you know, drinking you know, lead uh, water out of lead pipes. And 
trying to buy bottled water is very expensive for these families. So you're so right when you say that you know having clean and safe water, uh, that the health benefits and the economic benefits are just almost beyond measure. Now, Erin, you have mentioned a couple of times that Cal Water Fix has some components that address climate change. Can you go into a little bit more detail about exactly how how it will address climate change? Sure, and I'd even like to expand that to not just talk about the risks that climate change uh, poses to our water supply, but also earthquakes, kind of in the vein of natural disasters. Um, As far as an earthquake goes, there's a 66% probability of a major earthquake in the Bay Area within the next 50 years, and that could cause delta levees to subside, which would contaminate our clean water supply. A single earthquake could cut off water supplies to the state for months, costing tens of billions of dollars in repairs and leading to thousands of lost jobs. Uh, As far as climate change, the the Delta is a very low-lying region. Most central Delta islands are a couple stories below today's sea level, and sea levels are just rising. Higher sea levels will mean more pressure and higher, more frequent storms uh, surging against Delta levees. So building new intakes on the Sacramento River with California water fix would safeguard water deliveries from those higher sea levels we expect with climate change. Um, Estimates say about five and a half feet of sea level rise within the next 90 years, and some scientists tell us that it could even be much higher than that, higher and faster even. Mm -hmm. Scientists tell us that future storms are more likely to be warm, bringing rain instead of snow, and that snow is what we've long counted on to, to use in the Sierra Nevada and melt gradually in the spring, creating our water supply. Uh, all that means that we are going to have a flashier system, um, which will lead to increased levee failures. Um, they've, those levee failures have caused flooding of Delta Islands uh, over 150 times since 1900. Um, and that risk really remains, even with the investment we've done, uh, over $300 million into Delta levees. Um, with the declining snowpack and, and rising temperatures, it's more important than ever to really manage our water for the future. And WaterFix is going to move the system underground so that that clean water supply is protected against increased pressure from sea level rise. Mm-hmm. And I've got to think that moving the, the water underground might also help with, you know, evaporation. I know that that's an issue, especially as the temperatures warm. Um, so that that's certainly going to have at least some impact. Maybe it, it'll be nominal, but at least a little bit. Now, Jeff, I want to ask you, because I know that the municipal water agencies that depend on the state water project and the Central Valley project will be the ones picking up the bill for a lot of what's going on with Cal Water Fix. How will the construction of this new water conveyance system financially impact Metropolitan? Well, Metropolitan is expecting to pay somewhere a little north of about 25% of the bill. That's about how much water we get. We get 25 to 30% of the water that would move through uh, the tunnels and we would expect to pay commensurate with that. So that would make us probably pretty close to, if not the uh, largest contributor to the project um, in terms of our costs. That that works out uh, out of the $15 billion cost uh, to be about $4 billion of that would be Metropolitan's uh, expected to pay. And while it's a lot of money, we do have the luxury of a large uh, rate base to spread that across. And so when people see that on their bills, 
it will start out roughly about 50 cents a month in the first year of the project. And by the end of 10 years, uh, the average monthly bill of a household in Southern California will be somewhere between $3.50 to $5 more a month than they would otherwise have paid but for that project. And while we never uh, belittle rate increases, um, they're always difficult. We understand everyone has a limited budget. But the idea of uh, $5 a month more 10 years from now uh, and getting the insurance and the reliability that this project provides strikes us as a reasonable balance. And that's something that, from an economic perspective, uh, we think is, at, at this point, a good investment. Sounds like it. I mean, that's that's less than a cup of coffee in many uh, parts of the state. So uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty reasonable ask. Now, Aaron, this is going to sound like a softball question, but I want you to talk to us about some of the environmental benefits of Cal Water Fix. I mean, what what kind of, you know, speak to the environmental activist uh, listener of Go Green Radio. What will Cal Water Fix do to impact the environment? Sure. Um By moving the intakes further north and kind of laying off of the south delta pumps that we use today, um, we can minimize reverse flows uh, and reinstate more natural flows in delta rivers, which is just simply better for fish. We'd also be moving our our intakes away from critical fish habitats, and these are endangered species in the delta. Um, Also, it's important to recognize that it's not just California Water Fix that is focused on uh, minimizing the impact to the environment and even offering some restoration. Uh, California Eco Restore is well underway. It's the state's project to address the habitat loss that has occurred over the last hundred years in the Delta. Uh, we're well underway with that project, which it's the most significant habitat restoration project in the last 20 years that, that the Delta habitat has seen. And um, that used to be built into as part of the kind of overall water conveyance and habitat restoration projects. But we've now split it out so that the conveyance is just water fix and the habitat restoration is just eco-restore. And because of that, we've really been able to make tremendous strides in habitat restoration in the Delta. That's really exciting. And Jeff, you know, the water that Metropolitan Imports has to flow such a long way to reach your customers. What concerns do you have about water security and does WaterFix address these concerns? So we've always been concerned about water security from a natural disaster perspective. And um, certainly down here in Southern California, in earthquake country, we've always known that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when a major earthquake severs our water supply. Cal Water Fix does address a lot of seismic concerns. Uh, but after 9-11, uh, we had to wake up to also a different type of security, you know, man-made attacks, um, mm-hmm. terrorist attacks on our water supply. And we've been investing, whereas in the past we spent thousands of dollars a year, uh, we now spend millions of uh, dollars a year on enhancing and increasing our security. I think by going underground, um, these, these pipes are going to be roughly 150 feet below the surface. They'll be, it's not only a, a minimal you know, uh, impact on the environment that, that way by being underground, it has very little aesthetic impact. It also makes it tough to get at uh, from, mm-hmm. from any perspective. So I think that's a, one of those side benefits that are, that's of value to us. 
Now, that's a big value. I mean, and, and I think that that's something that Californians can appreciate. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we've got so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you've all joined us. We're talking about California Water Fix, and you can check out more details. There's so much great information on this website. It's CaliforniaWaterFix.com. Check it out. Learn more. Um, Jeff, I wanted to talk to you about the, the drought and some of the suggestions that have been coming out of the drought um, are coming from folks who proposed desalination. Um, what is Metropolitan's position on that? So Metropolitan has uh, always been a supporter of desalination, but we haven't pursued it as aggressively as we have other options. Uh, currently, there is only one major plant in Southern California in the San Diego-Carlsbad region, part of our service area, um, that was pursued by the local water agency there. Uh, and the reason we haven't pursued it as aggressively as other options is it, due to its price primarily. It is the most expensive option probably on the water portfolio table. Uh, to give you an example, the water coming out of Carlsbad is two and a half to almost three times the price of metropolitan water that has moved wow. all the way four, 500 miles from the north, 300 miles from the east. And it's still roughly $2,300, an acre foot versus 800 to $900 for treated water coming from Metropolitan. So why is it so much more? It's very energy intensive. It's extremely energy intensive to build that system. And, um, and it will likely continue to always be more expensive than our other supplies. That said, it's still worthwhile doing some desalination. It's, it's pretty much drought-proof. Um, it, it does have environmental impacts to the local seashore, but so does every water supply option, so that's probably a push. 
and it has a certain reliability to it, uh, particularly in areas that are harder to reach that might be cut off from earthquake. Having some portion of the portfolio in a pretty drought-proof supply, despite its cost, may make sense as a, as a good investment, uh, a good uh, think of it as an, a rather expensive but worthwhile insurance policy. Kind of like a peaker plant for the energy side of the house. Exactly. Um, In fact, one thing I'd mention is that's how Australia uses its um, desalination supply. They just peak off it. Yep, exactly. And the thing that's interesting, too, you know, we've talked about this on Go Green Radio before, is that... You know, when you think about the coastal communities that would be housing desal plants, they're typically not the same communities that would be hosting a new power plant. So um, it might be a tough sell to get them to put in the energy that it would take to run the desal plant. And if that, you know, if we had to use more energy in the state, it might come from areas that are kind of impacted by poor air quality already. So we need to look at this as a as a coupled package, you know, desal plants and energy plants together somehow so that uh, the communities that are using the water are also providing the energy. I think that might be, you know, something that needs to be considered. Now, Aaron, this is a huge construction project. Talk to us about the job opportunities that are inherent in California Water Fix. Yeah, um, not only are jobs going to be created with construction of water fix, it's also going to protect jobs. Um, as I mentioned before, if a major earthquake hits, it could cause thousands of job losses across the state. Um, this water also, as we've talked about, really runs the economies and the and provides the water for all of the agricultural land or much of the agricultural land in, in California. Um, so Waterfix would preserve nearly a million jobs statewide, which includes 10,000 annual farm jobs. In construction, it would create about 118,000 new construction jobs and $7 billion in employee compens- compensation. Um, the result of an updated and reliable water delivery system would protect nearly a million jobs statewide. Wow. And you know, one of the things I love about construction jobs is they are inherently local. It's not like you can outsource, you know, somebody to build things. And I love that about infrastructure projects. Um, You know, it's people who are living here, working here, paying taxes here. um, And that's a that's a great component of, of infrastructure projects like this. Now, Jeff, we were talking a minute ago about energy, and of course, you know, people in California, well, not everybody, but public policymakers are pretty familiar with the energy water nexus that exists in California. We use a lot of energy to pump water through the state, and it takes, you know, a good amount of water to create energy in the state. Do you think that water fix will increase the efficiency of our water system to the extent that we might be able to save some energy in the process? So... California uses about 19% of its water, or, or almost a fifth of its uh, energy, uh, involved with water supply. Except what a lot of people don't realize is when they hear that 19% number, they think that's all about pumping and moving water. But almost two-thirds of that is for heating water at the household. It takes a lot of energy to make water warm for taking showers, washing clothes, taking baths, washing dishes. The other third, roughly about 6% of it, is actually for moving water. And so while it's a big number in a state as large as California, that, you know, it's, it's still 6% of all water, um, of all our energy used for moving water 
is not that huge a number. So uh, what will CalWaterFix do to that number? Probably just m- move it a uh, minute fraction one way or another. Uh, luckily, water the reason why water is moved relatively efficiently around the state is the use of gravity. In Southern California and metropolitan service area, we do no pumping once the water hits Southern California. We use gravity to feed it all the way from Ventura all the way down to uh, the San Diego border to the, with Mexico. And the same is true with Cal Water Fix. It's also going to use gravity by switching to tunnels and going underground. We're able to use gravity so that it doesn't do any pumping until it get, hits the California aqueduct. And so these are the benefits of the design of this is that it's not going to add to our energy cost. It might lower it by a fraction, and that's what we're hoping. Mm-hmm. Well, every little bit helps. Um, no question about that. Now, Aaron, I know this is somewhat of a loaded question um, because this depends upon a lot of politicians and bureaucrats and public comment and all sorts of input from various stakeholders. But how soon can Californians expect to see uh, water fix get underway? What needs to happen in order to see shovels go in the ground? Sure. Um well, actually, yesterday we posted uh, our final refined environmental documents for WaterFix, which is the Environmental Impact Report and Environmental Impact Statement. That's a really exciting milestone, and it paves the way for uh, many of the other permits to fall into place in early 2017. Um, a big piece is that's still up in the air, and um, I know the water agencies are, are knocking their heads together to figure it out, is the cost allocation. Um, obviously, the water agencies and the, the beneficiaries of this project are the ones who are going to be paying for it, but exactly how that is split uh, is still in, they're still under conversations. Um, but now that the EIR, EIS is completed, the other permits and approvals are expected to be finalized in early 2017, which clears the way for construction to begin as early as 2018. That is pretty exciting. Um, you know, because these are the kinds of projects, again, like I was mentioning, uh, California voters you know, we're, we're passing bond measures related to water storage and levy repairs back in 2006. Um, and, and, you know, people are kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, you know, in just the last few seconds we have left on the air, I wanted to give you both a chance to leave our listeners with one last thought. Jeff, any last thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, I, I would think that this is a historic moment in California where you had a Governor Pat Brown begin the largest project built in the nation, and now you have his son, Governor Jerry Brown, about to add to that legacy and make something historic that will help water supply in California, not for 25 years, but for the next 100 years. It's very That's historic. pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. And Aaron, last words. I mean, I'd echo Jeff that this is a, we're really reaching a historic moment. Um, the need for this project is urgent, and the cost of doing nothing is too great. So uh, we can't really afford to wait any longer to secure and protect the state's major source of clean water, and that's what WaterFix would do. Well said. Thanks to you both for joining us. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.